No Gods, No Monsters contains spoilers, profanity, and substance use. Y'all, I need to hear your best pod screech impressions, pod person screeches. I have neighbors, which well, I haven't potted yet, so they'll think I'm weird. <laughs> Wait, I gotta... you can just get really close to the mic and do like a. Ooh, that's a good one. I feel like me and Barta did okay, but I think Charlie actually is a bar uh, is is a pod person. I think <laughs> I don't think that's true, but Barto, I think you should come over here and take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to No Gods, No Monsters. We're the anti-capitalist kaiju and monster movie podcast in a world where no one's coming to save us. I'm Rabbit. I'm um, uh, Pod Charlie, but not actually Pod Charlie. That's a joke. <laughs> and I'm, you can I'm, trust me, guys. And I'm Bardo. Uh, and today we're talking about 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So, wait, uh, Bardo. Well, wait, I thought we were doing the 56 one. You're lying. That's a joke. And you're not a very good joke. I almost got you. Uh, <laughs> I had a there, moment. There was a second where you you were thinking about it. I almost got you. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so this was your pick, Barto. Any particular reason you picked this one? Because this movie fucking slaps, man. This movie yeah. is so much fun. It was like... Um, I watched it for the first time like a year ago, and um, I thought, you, you know, the uh, for my first thought walking away from this movie was like, I understand California Uber Alice at like such a deeper level than yes. I ever have before. I've been listening to that song for like 20 years, and it was the first time it like really clicked for me. Cue the music. California that was Hell was yeah. that when was that song from 78 that was around 78 right i 79? think a little bit later um it's it is the first D dead kennedy's recording yeah it is i really like that he ended up meeting uh governor very uh jerry brown and being kind of embarrassed oh it's released 79 yeah 79 nice. so right after this yeah directly inspired by the movie yeah possibly that's possible. But yeah, I just, I think this is, there's a lot going on in this movie. I think 
I don't know if we're necessarily going to like glean uh, a whole bunch of tremendously new insights that no one else has ever thought of before, but this is a fun movie to talk about. There's sticky stuff. I like movies with sticky stuff in it. Oh, and, yeah, uh, baby. And uh, <laughs> we're porn heads over here. Stacked cast. Yeah. P- perfect yeah. runtime. Well, good choice, Barto. Um, so this is, yeah, as we our random monster movie. And then we're going back into Godzilla to do Terror of Mechagodzilla, the final Godzilla Showa film. And then I think we're doing like a Showa era Godzilla wrap up. We haven't really talked about it, but uh, you'll find out after this. Mm-hmm. Charlie, do you want to tell us what this movie's about? Lip Haven, San Francisco, as we cover the strange and unidentified flower. This coincides with the mass paranoia of people believing that their loved ones are imposters. Must be nice having loved ones to suspect to be imposters. <laughs> health, department, <laughs> health department worker Brooke Adams, wife of the great San Francisco detective Adrian Monk, believes that her boyfriend Jeffrey Art Hinkle, the anti-choice college hockey player from Black Christmas, from Black Christmas is an imposter and confines us with her work husband, Matthew... Donald Sutherland, but no. Matthew thinks that she may be mistaken, but he doesn't think she's crazy, that she can shake her eyes, which is a common trait among non-crazy people. However, patronizing shithead Vulcan psychiatrist Spock doesn't know about the eye-shaking thing, because he sucks at his job, so he insists she's, she's just a big dummy trying to destroy the family unit. Well, it turns out that Spock is as dumb as Rogan, Joe Rogan shit, and Brooke Adams is as smart as Einstein P., as she is correct and he is wrong. So her and Matthew team up with the Belichicks, a.k.a. Seth, Seth Brundlefly and the girl from Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. The four of them discover that San Francisco has been taken over by an alien race of plants that has the ability to duplicate organic life in all aspects except emotion. Uh-oh, that's going to be a big old note for me. <laughs> Unlike the rest conforming ass San Francisco, such as taxi driver, director of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Don Siegel, cinematographer, Jan- janitor Michael Chapman, and my fucking traitor to the human race ass parents, our four people fight off conformity as long as they can, but all ultimately fail. Donald Sutherland scream- screams at Veronica Cartwright, the end. It's Phil Kaufman's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Hell yeah. <clears throat> um, general thoughts and feelings. I mean, Barto, you kind of gave yours. Charlie, you want to you want to go first? Yeah. Um, so I've seen this a couple times before, and I always liked it, but I always kind of felt it was overrated. Like I got it, but it never really truly resonated with me. But this time, it it, it really hit home with me. Um, I bought the 4K of it. Um, specifically for this, the uh, put out by Keener specifically for this episode. Uh, even though I own two Blu-ray copies of it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of this movie you kind of liked. <laughs> um, well, the Blu-ray copies I got one was like included. No, 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 it doesn't matter. Okay, <laughs> one was like five five dollars. The other one was like included in the subscription thing anyways um but yeah so i got the 4k to, for this episode and uh yeah i i loved it. it really hit home um the way it has before i know the last time i kind of i watched it with um a lady which is not always the best way to watch it um there's distractions involved and 
you know, people not. Fucking women being so distracting all the time. I mean, because they're beautiful. <laughs> because I love women. That's why they're distracting. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, as well as just sometimes, you, you know, I'm watching someone, a horror, I'm putting on a horror movie, my choice, for someone who doesn't like horror movies. And so the whole totally. time I'm just like, oh afraid that they're not like get that anxiety that they don't like it yeah Yeah. i get that anyways this time really hit home it's a beautiful movie yeah i don't know it's 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 really just an all-around great movie everything about it um the cinematography the music the uh, story the acting it's just i don't know if there are any flaws it's a great movie yeah hell yeah rabbit you Okay. Uh, yeah, I so I had never seen this before. I've read uh, Jack Finney, I think his name is, mm-hmm. uh, The Body Snatchers, which I really enjoyed when I read it 15 or so years ago. Um, I've seen the 56 one, and I've seen The Faculty in theaters and like five times since then. But So I didn't know what to expect for this one or what would be different. And this is just the best one that I've seen. It was awesome. I, uh, this is going to sound like a broken record, but I watched it the first time. It was great, but I watched it a second time and I was like so fucking stoked on it because I think the first time I kept wondering like, what does it mean? What are they saying? Like, I was wondering if it was like a communist thing or if if it was a spin on that or what. And so then once I got what I thought it meant, then rewatching from the beginning was so sweet and so dense with beautiful strategic and smart meaning and little touches and everybody in it is great. The main characters are really likable, and I really enjoy my time with them. The ending is fucking sick. Um, I fucking thought it was great. Oh, yeah. Um, Barto, oh. what, el- what else, other than your little why you picked it, what are your other general thoughts? It's just very smart. It's just a very smart movie, and it doesn't just say what it's doing at any point. And there's like a couple things that I think it's doing, but there's never like in overt the turn towards um like consumerism and uh looking inward as opposed to like outward revolutionary change it has been detrimental to us as a society you know it like never even really alludes to that it just like is but it is telling you that the whole time there's just there's but there's never like it never makes Except for uh, Leonard Nimoy's character. He's like the main clue, I think, in this. But uh, otherwise, they're not doing... There's no proselytizing in it There's no exposition dump at all. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. But but it's the whole time, it's, it's showing, not telling. And I think that is so cool. And it, yeah. and also yeah, it's beautifully shot. Like the the way the camera moves around crowds and things like that is so cool. There's so much stuff just like going on in the background. You know, yeah. there's just like weird stuff going on in every single scene. Yeah. You know, there are scenes where I feel, you know, I realized um, for for whatever reason, whenever like. Donald, whenever they're in Donald Sutherland's apartment and Donald Sutherland goes outside, I feel like tension whenever he leaves his house. And I don't know why I'm feeling tension whenever he leaves his house. And then at some point he leaves 
there's a pod out there, you know, and there's a, a sticky guy, you know, but like something is going, and it, it happened to me. I remembered it from the first time I watched the movie because I had the same sort of like tension whenever he left the house the first time in the movie. I kept thinking like, what have they done to make me feel this way even? But that's what the whole movie sort of feels like is that mm-hmm. they're very gently inserting information to to make you feel or think a certain way about what's going on. And that that is great A-plus filmmaking. Oh, yeah. Charlie, did you have something you were going to say before when I cut you off? I don't remember, but I do want to say off the bat, in preparation for this movie, I um, so I watched it four times, uh, once by its, once by itself, once with commentary from uh, director Philip Kaufman, once commentary from film historian uh, Steve Haberman, once uh, while taking notes at one point five speed. And I watched all the extras on the on the Kino disc, which there's a ton of interviews and featurettes with people involved with the movie. Um, I also read the book by Jack Finney, and um, <laughs> I watched the original movie from 1956 by Don Siegel, and I was planning to watch the Abel Ferrara's version, which um, I have watched in the past couple of years, but I was planning to rewatch it, but... Uh, the disc is at my mom's house, and I was going to grab it on Easter, but she canceled Easter because she was sick. So that ended up not happening. Um, wow, Easter's canceled. So, Jesus. What yeah. will they cancel next? So Jesus wept, and I uh, missed out on spending another two hours on this fucking episode. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but April Ferrara's version, I remember being quite good. It's more of a detachment from the first two movies um, when did that one come out early 90s 93 okay I say. uh but that's that like takes place on a military base uh mm. it's so it's more about the conformity of i guess military as opposed to the general population population but i remember quite liking that but for as good filmmaker uh yeah i think maybe what i meant to say before was um jack finney i didn't realize till doing this movie but he also did that uh, the time travel book that i got from you and read and i remember quite liking um, which one time and time again or something like that oh that i never read it, it i literally got my copy from you i i know think of how many movies you have you haven't watched <laughs> time and again is what it's called um, yeah, I remember grabbing that off a shelf, but I haven't read it. Yeah, well, it's good. You should. You if you ever get a time I can't machine, eat up my copy. If you can ever travel in time, like in the uh, sci-fi novel "Time and Again" by Jack Finney, then you should <laughs> not give me the book "Time and Again" by Jack Finney, so you can read it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I didn't give it to you. I sold it to you for a dollar because I needed money to go hitchhiking. That's true. But that's true. <laughs> Thank you for your support through the years, Charlie. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, where do y'all want to get off, started off? On, oh, wait, wait. Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I thought I should follow that, but God damn it, I forgot I was going to do this. So, Barta, what'd you do to prepare? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I watched this movie once. Uh, I've been working a lot 
And so I um <laughs> You don't need to right? I, I watched this well. movie once. <laughs> At least you just, live up to your Twitter handle. <laughs> Damn. There's no requirement. Okay. God damn, it's supposed to be organic right after I list all that stuff I was supposed to go. So Barta, what did you do to prepare? <laughs> it it worked great. It worked great, Charlie. <laughs> um where do you, where do y'all want to start? Anywhere in particular? Um, let's start in the prologue. That shit was cool as fuck. It was beautiful. I forgot about gorgeous. that. What do we think it is? I you might know, Charlie. Like what? How they made it? Oh, okay. I was like, it's the fucking aliens, Barto. Well, yeah, no, that I got. <laughs> he, it was literally said like some five dollar like gel effect that he bought um and like filmed through like a fish tank or something with uh space behind it something like that that was, was, that was my like, guess cost like nothing to make and it's just absolutely gorgeous yeah he fucking nailed it and yeah. and then they they go from that and the way that it starts zooming in on like all these different you know, it zooms in on, I think, the Golden Gate Bridge and a church and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very much like it It could be anywhere. One of the things going for this movie is San Francisco, an absolutely, especially in the 70s, absolutely gorgeous city. Um, that definitely helps the entire aesthetic as well. Yeah. But it, it really, that that opening bit really does a lot to like, fuel the paranoia you know like this one of the cool things about this movie it feels like like very similar vibes to like the parallax view or something like that Mm -hmm. like or just like that 70s paranoia conspiracy thriller thing and which are some of my favorite things to watch it's not making fun of you in the same way that the parallax view kind of feels like it is but yeah i don't know it it really just like right away just like sets the mood of how you're supposed to watch this movie did you guys notice the cameo in the intro yeah the priest right yeah robert duvall oh really yeah totally the, the priest on the swing set that's supposed to be the our first pod person and yeah it's robert duvall doing a little cameo I wrote famous actor question mark. I also wrote what the f-? like a, a priest on a swing with kids is just like horrific for me to see just because of associations. Right. So it's a weird, very weird start next to such, you know, beautiful flowers and nice colors and a great palette. I mean, this movie just has an awesome palette. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I thought that was him. OK, cool. Yeah. Uh, speaking about the, the palette, um, the, the visuals of it, this is shot by Michael Chapman, who um did uh taxi driver and uh um, right what's the boxing one rumble raging bull rumble with uh Ra- raging bull yeah raging bull um <laughs> i think my title is better but raging <laughs> bull for the uh simple people um and space jam so Michael space jam. <laughs> yeah he's also the janitor later in the movie um they're going in the building. They're like, oh, let's not go that way. There's a janitor there. But yeah, he so an uh, expert cinematographer. And it's yeah. obvious in every shot of this movie. 
I, you know, totally. the 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 priest. I like looked at him. and I'm like, that's weird as fuck. Wonder, like, and I I made like a little mental note to be like, think about this priest, and then <laughs> I, I immediately forgot to think about the priest, and I. Because you're right. It's just, for me, it's just an association of a priest hanging out with a bunch of children. Yeah. It's just creepy. I'm super surprised to hear that he was supposed to be the first pod person because I thought it was interesting that when, you know, what we see we see the, the stuff in space and then the flower. And so it's like, oh, is this some mm-hmm. of the first stuff? Okay. And then Jeffrey, that next morning, is already taken over. But when he walks out of the house, there's a garbage truck that's full of the fibers, like, overflowing so i kind of thought maybe this has been going for days i mean i i think when he says that he means the first pot person we see that we're introduced to Mm. oh okay even that That i was kind of confused by because he like he talks about how the teacher who's welcoming the kids who's like the first person we see she gives brooke adams like a weird kind of paranoid look so like when I was watching the commentary, I was like, oh, so that's the first pot person. And then he just, he, he says, like, and then Robert Duvall, the first pot person, is like, oh, never mind. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I, but yeah, I don't, I don't know it's been going for days. It seems like this just all accelerated really quick. Cause I mean, even if we're thinking about just the time frame of the movie we're watching, it only takes place across like, what is it, two, three days? Yeah, it just seemed like, a lot to have on in one truck that much after one night when she had to physically grab a flower bring it home you know like how many people did that on the block where that's or on the you know in the area in the book they talk about how it's like you know it's it's not just people bring it home it's you know someone gets infested and they it's not just they randomly take a flower home but someone else got infested in some way then they take they intentionally take a pot home and infest their house, but but yeah, um, totally. Uh, Since it took the whole night for Jeffrey, that's all I mean. But yeah, it doesn't I mean, really it's probably matter. going on for one or two days, but I feel like it's supposed to be pretty. Yeah, we're seeing pretty much the start of it, and it just takes over. But also, you know, maybe there were maybe that there was lots of uh, dryers where they're trying to get load, trying to get rid of their. Um, the the lint traps are there. <laughs> they all happen to well, trash at the same day. Maybe some of them had huskies, so they're getting rid of all the husky fur. You know, you can't just assume as all humans turned into. <laughs> there is the fact that that teacher is saying to the kids, "Everybody pick a flower." So that kind of does set up the idea that mm-hmm. all those kids picked a flower. That many houses. So I think it's set up pretty well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Since we're talking about the garbage trucks, I. I love, I feel like they're a pretty good symbol for the fact that, like, almost every scene has a garbage truck full of the fibers that the main cast, who are, like, the detectives in this thing, don't see. And I think that's a really great setup for, like, so many of the themes in this movie, that there's this stuff that's, like, right in front of your eyes, but no one is seeing, you know? Okay, and so the first time I watched this um, with my wife like a year ago like 20 minutes into you this movie wrong. what i don't think he did you said my wife wrong but go, go on my wife oh, jesus christ <laughs> uh uh my wife, my wife. that's all <laughs> the, the first that's time awesome. i <laughs> the first time i watched this movie with my wife like a year ago said it wrong um about 20 minutes into this movie she goes why is no one listening to her 
why is no yeah. why is no one listening to women in this movie this movie is about how you need to listen to women and no one will do it and that is like yeah the the garbage trucks full of fibers just driving around picking up tons of erroneous fibers in every single scene right in front of their faces is like yeah another one of these just like I, totally. it's right in front of you i bet if if one of your wife's female friends came up to her and said, my husband is an imposter. I don't believe it's actually him. It looks the same. He has the same exact scars, but it's not actually him because his emotions are different. Your wife would be like, uh-huh. Okay, sure. I, you know, I don't know. You know, I we actually had this talk about the, the Stepford wives pretty recently and how I, I said that if she came to me and said, uh, all the women seem like they're being all the women in my life are being turned into machines by their husband. I would believe her. I would believe her. <laughs> I don't think you would. I, I think I would. I, I want to talk about this for a bit because I do think this was a huge theme in the movie. Um, I think it's really interesting that like Jack, who we'll talk about in a bit, is like the the embodiment of paranoia, and he says everything is a conspiracy. But the only thing in the movie he doesn't believe is when his own wife says maybe it was a space flower that did this. It's the only time he disagrees and is like, that's I, crazy. Yep. I, I just thought that was just kind of their different kind of wacky people. He's more of like government's a conspiracy while she's more just like in the aliens and stuff i just thought they were just supposed to represent two different kinds of kind of wacky conspiracy conspiracy people so i'm just trying to point out a theme i think i see in the movie charlie i'm just gonna uh like i think that it's interesting right that that's the only thing that he disagrees with her on as far as her thinking something is up. And, and i think the sort of conspiracies that she like finds herself into particularly at that time are kind of feminized, you know, like she's sort of like, you know, the like ancient astronaut sort of thing at that point is kind of new agey and kind of, you know, like, like totally, you know, it's, it's not the, like the like weird libertarian strand of conspiracy that, was really big then it, or even the you know leftist sort of like you know the original jfk conspiracists were all leftists you know that it wasn't it wasn't that it was you know this weird kind of she was into the new agey stuff which is you know yeah more yeah culturally and, and, feminine and it's interesting because obviously she's the most correct and she's presented as the wackiest of characters um, but she's totally. also the most correct and she also survives the longest because she's the one who kind of catches on to the things most immediately. Yep. Totally. I, um, I also think like, and yeah, I think that they were making a stark difference between like Jack's conspiracies and her conspiracies. But like if someone was telling me they thought spaceships landed millions of years ago, so spacemen could mate with apes, I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa there. Maybe I don't. <laughs> think what you're saying is right but i do think that the movie makes a purposeful choice to have women not being heard because like her and elizabeth are the ones in that apartment who get the theory right and are saying it and no one else believes it at first 
And also this starts out like when the psychiatrist is in front of all the people, there's the woman saying she doesn't believe her husband, like she doesn't think her husband. Elizabeth is the first woman we see. It does seem like a thing throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, And there Mm -hmm. is a history of psychiatrists leaning towards the men in these kind of situations and not believing women and cops too. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I generally agree with that. I just, I didn't have as much of a, I guess about Jack specifically. I thought it was just more of a dichotomy of him being more of a governmental conspiracy person versus more of a, a new age. New age. Uh, but but you're right, it, it does fit in with the general theme. Of- no, that makes sense. Sorry if I communicated wrong. I, I was just trying to like, I had like three things I was trying to get out is all I was trying to say. For like, sure. hold on, I'll wait till I finish the picture or something, like, you know. For sure, um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think you're definitely right. Uh, and Jack is a fucking interesting character. He's but... fascinating, and he is hot. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, yeah. Jeff Goldblum looked great at this time. Um, but yeah, he's still does. He's cool because he has he has the strongest arc, you know, as a character. Mm-hmm. Like he starts out, it basically you. The first time you see him, he's having a conversation with himself and then gets mad at a woman for talking to him, for interrupting his own conversation with himself, you know, like, and just like a supremely weird dude. Uh, Very funny throughout. Uh, A little trivia note. um, That woman that interrupts him is uh, Rose Kaufman. Actually. I don't know that's her name, but Rose, who is the director's wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if Kaufman's her last name or not, but 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 he he grows into someone who um, mm-hmm. sacrifices him. You know, he he yeah. goes from like this completely self-absorbed person who is just like who is talking True. to himself and he's bitching. He's bitching the <laughs> whole movie. You know, even you know, I get that. Like uh, at one, you know, when the pod person is trying to take him over like something goes on that makes him sleepy but like she's like get up walk around he's like i'm tired my mouth's dry my mouth's so dry (laughs) you know he's like just you know too that it's a recurrent thing because she already has patterns around it like she said he's saying i need to lay down and think but before that she's like hey jack are you sorry i don't want to disturb you if you're thinking like it's clearly a thing he has where he needs to lay down and think about poetry while she works and she shouldn't disturb him not that like not in like necessarily a misogynist way but in a way that's very loud and interesting and and in eccentric and self-absorbed and yeah Yeah. you know i think all of these are four main protagonists are definitely different strands of people who would have been part of like the countercultural movement in the sixties. Like they all kind of strike me as that. And, um, you know, Jeff Goldblum being probably the sort of guy who have been like, Oswald didn't kill JFK. You know, he was like one of those Mm -hmm. guys in the sixties and plus a poet. Well, well, yeah. yeah, And he's a beatnik. Or or like totally. at or was at some point, you know, which I think all of those, you know, I, I I will I think we should have a greater discussion about what Elizabeth and um uh Matthew Matthew, yeah, were, you know, became um as post sixties people, as grown ups or whatever. 
but I think that sort of thinking, because I think they're all four of our characters are sort of like primed to not trust like the world around them in some way. Sure. Um, and Jeff- I hadn't thought of them as like types, um, but yeah, I'm interesting as. Do you want to just say what types the like who is the who's the fourth? Well, I mean, uh it's Jack, Nancy, Elizabeth, Matt. And what do you think Nancy if she's standing for a type of person? I mean, she she's like also new wave, like, new age. Yeah, new age kind of a okay, hell yeah. conspiracy also like she was probably into like it wouldn't shock me if she was reading like contactee books in the sixties. Yeah, um, I mean, like the volcano d- baths, self-help stuff kind of fits into that. Well, or like they the even self-care. have that scene where the guy recommends her the book and she's yeah. like, Oh, I've read that. Have you read this? I didn't look totally. up what the book she mentioned was like, he mentioned is about like Venus, um, being like, um, a part of, like a comet that was broken off of Jupiter or something like that. Um, nice. Uh, but but worlds yeah, in collision. I didn't get around looking up what the book she recommended to him. I, was, but yeah, I but, forget uh, what it was. But that one is about like exactly that whole thing about like aliens mating with monkeys and creating humans or whatever. That's what that oh, book. Okay. That's what worlds in collision is about. And I don't know. This probably wasn't intentional or anything, but. uh Jack Finney, with his book, he went into kind of um, misreading like a scientific theory where it kind of plays off into something that she, um, someone like Nancy would believe in, where where there's a theory about like uh, galactic spores that are, um, you know, propelled through space and end up on other planets. And I guess the theory is actually supposed to be um, about, you know, minuscule uh, little uh, pieces of yeah. plant life when when Jack Finney just read it as basically three foot big pods being <laughs> propelled through space Hell uh, yeah. by the force of the light of the sun <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and uh, those are going through space you know for a near infinite amount of time so obviously eventually they'll land on planets and then they can populate that <laughs> uh, totally but that just kind of made me think of like maybe the type of thing that a character like her would kind of believe in 100 <laughs> percent. i i feel like jack is also to me he is just supposed to be the embodiment of paranoia and how mm. people like treat paranoia and how paranoia affects people and what they do with it like throughout the like movie he's like he even says of course it's a big conspiracy and someone says what's a conspiracy he says everything yeah <laughs> and like you know it can get to the point where people are treating you way different like not taking you seriously because of your paranoia, which can be a problem. Like he, I mean, which makes sense. Like Matthew is on the phone and he's literally talking to himself and at Matthew and Matthew, it's like, he's on the phone. No one's going to hear you. But then Mm -hmm. when the psychiatrist is uh, Kibner is talking with Elizabeth and he comes up, psychiatrist like screams at him and shoves him into a, a fucking store because he doesn't want like these paranoid thoughts to be affecting like his rationality. And like, it kind of showed that paranoia isn't just being treated as this thing that makes you like out of touch or eccentric or whatever. It's also like a threat to other people's sanity, you know, Mm -hmm. there's that good line where Leonard Nimoy is like, 
basic Belichick. You've got some friends who enjoy pra- playing practical jokes, and he and he's just like, I don't have any friends, Doctor Gibner, <laughs> and and it's very much totally. like I get. I get who you are. <laughs> I just want to say, but that's also not true because we know he's friends with Matthew at least. Exactly. <laughs> he, and then he even, I was going to say, he even calls Matthew to come help mm-hmm. him, right? But because he's Mr. Paranoid, like he's the embodiment of paranoia, Matthew comes and he has to check whether Matthew is being Matthew the friend or Matthew the government person. Like he's like, we didn't find one. Well, I don't need to know. Are you here as a friend? We didn't find one yet. Like, won't tell him he found a body because he needs to make sure he's not looking at him as a government person, which is paranoia, but is also smart. Yeah. That's also something that happens in uh, both the book and the uh, the first movie. Uh, although maybe not as much of a paranoid kind of um, edginess to it of the, the Belichick character. Um, totally. That. Because in both the, the book and the other movie, it's uh, the Jack Belichick is being like now in both versions much more calmer he's like now you're a doctor but you don't necessarily have to report like a body well this yeah. is uh, this is obviously much more kind of edgy just yeah i can relate to this character um yeah a lot especially hell yeah like the the self-paranoid and self-doubt stuff um totally and, and uh, mean, being just like one of the most hottest pieces of asses of all time right um, <laughs> Definitely. And really good at jazz piano. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things is that he kind of embodies paranoia. But by the end, who who of our main characters aren't seen that way by everyone else? Mm -hmm. Like the whole beginning is Elizabeth seeing something wrong with other people. And so everybody thinks there's something wrong with her, you know? Uh, And so this movie on on this watch through, I hadn't made this list of my letterbox yet, but... Um, I did add it to my movies that are about gang stalking list. I was going to I knew this was yeah, why yeah, I, I was know, thinking I know, I know. you picked this in the first place. Same. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, it is, you know, and it like the, the thing happens, you know, you know, they don't really play with the idea that like this could all be in their heads. They don't, you know, that is a thing that they could have done with this movie, and they just chose the not to. The filmmakers, you mean? Yeah. yeah, okay. But it is very much like, you know, again, someone who is having, like, paranoid delusions about other people following them around act weirder in real life, and so everyone act, everyone around them acts weirder in relation to them, and so it adds to that sort of, fuel and paranoia and so like when elizabeth is walking down the street noticing people who are being really fucking weird you know and she starts acting weird it like compounds the problem even if oh man you know not necessarily like everyone is in the state that you know has become a pod person maybe they have but um, yeah, it's like a feedback loop where you're, yes. the positive information gets more positive information back, which gets you more. It doesn't. There's no halting mechanism. No. Um, trippy. Kind of an interesting thing that plays with that is like a lot of the shots of people were done, you know, with the, the people not knowing they were just guerrilla shots of them just taking shots, but they're like. You know, in the context of the movie, it'll look creepy, but it's really just 
regular people just walking around. Uh, but because of the context of the movie, we're just like, oh shit, are those pop people? Are those pop people? And Hell yeah. Well, we assign this paranoid meaning to them. Yeah. Well, and, nice. and presumably they're people like looking like, oh, there's a camera there. There's like, mm-hmm. that. that's an actress. You know, yeah. like, I'm going to look at them. You know, well, like, some of the shots, like, like they'll have like shots from like above or something from, from like the building looking down at people. But you're right. But then some of the also the shots they're in around people. Um, I know some of the kind of close up crowd shots they had like a hidden camera while they're walking through people. Uh, so sometimes, sometimes people know that they're being shot. Sometimes they don't. I assume that the one where Matthew's meeting with the guy and then walks away had to be kind of gorilla because there was that guy like picking with his teeth, and I'm like, they wouldn't have told this guy to do that. Like, do you all know <laughs> yeah. what I'm talking about? I couldn't stop looking at it. I'm like, why are you? He's like in the front of the camera, like doing someone's teeth. I'm like, this has to be something. It's nothing. But I guess he was just a dude getting something out of his yeah. tooth. One other thing that uh, I thought was interesting about the paranoia is that, like, even when it's happening to our main characters, they are doing it to other people. So, like, Elizabeth is the one who is, like, sure something's going on and Matthew doesn't know but is trying to believe her and is driving her around. And the guy runs up onto the car and is like, they're coming, they're coming after me. And instead of being like, someone's coming after him, they say, he must have done something. Like, right? they're immediately assigning the problem to the guy who's saying there's a problem uh which you know in the context of you know political movements and people calling out bad things in the government and shit is a really scary thought you know so that was um kevin mccarthy who was the star of the original movie oh nice and and the director's head canon so the original ending to the original movie was not what the director wanted it was the studio made it happen because it was like a happy ending where shit gets solved or whatever. It's supposed to end oh, with Kevin McCarthy basically like running on a highway trying to like warn people. So in this and Philip Kaufman's direct uh the director of this movie, his mind, his head canon is that, you know, uh Kevin McCarthy's been running <laughs> uh trying to warn people for twenty years and now he's made it to a big city and he's he hits you know, He's warning all these people in this big city, and then he gets. He's been putting out gang stalking (laughs) pamphlets, like (laughs) trying to get it. Well, you you know the 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 funny thing about that scene that I was thinking about when I watched it because I I don't want to date this too hard, but there's that lady talking about how bad San Francisco has gotten, and and what uh, Michelle Tandler is her name, and one of the things she talked about was texting her group dm of like tech guys and asking if someone who had been stabbed ran up to their car would they let him in and help him and they all said no and <laughs> is it, this is the person that was saying we should hang people for is this for that fent- person or who is this for, for yeah yeah the the person this lady it, alleged she's saying is a thought experiment now what a great thought experiment but uh yeah, uh, yeah. Being like, yeah, we should we should do a few public hangings of meth, of uh, fent dealers, but one but one of the things she brought up is that like all you know, there's no, there, you know, no one's looking out for anyone. It's just chaos out there, and and it mm-hmm. it is like, and she is you know again in San Francisco, and it is like it's this like weird. I hate thinking about things in terms of synchronicities, but it did feel like, 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 sure. oh, this is just like a thing. 
This is just like mm-hmm. a thing that happens where like people in cities are so scared of each other, you know, yeah. depending on not depending on the type of lifestyle that you live in that city. And like, I'm not sure what the greater point that I'm, I'm trying to make with this, except that, except that, uh, it's a through line from yeah. that time to now, even though we think of San Francisco as having been like, you know, this leftist kind of haven 10 years before this was the peak of that 1967, 1968. And then suddenly it's 78 and it's already seeing it becoming what it is now as shown in this movie. That's yes. crazy. Thank you. As a side note, the director tells a funny story about that scene when they're filming it. A houseless person uh, who is like sitting there said, like, wait a second, weren't you in the first movie? And Kevin McCarthy is like, yeah. And he goes, that one was way better. <laughs> <laughs> it's while filming? Yeah, while they're filming. It. Amazing. <laughs> I also think it's interesting with the guy who got on the the windshield, like, Farto, you just pointed out, like, oh, people are really scared of each other depending on what kind of lifestyle they choose. But the cues for us to pick up what kind of lifestyle they choose are very quick little things like having your hair messed up, having your suit unbuttoned, or being sweaty and frantic. So, like, the act of him running... Maybe he was a businessman, but he's running scared for his life. Suddenly he looks a little more homeless mm-hmm. and suddenly people won't fucking help you. Like, it's just kind of wild that it's, again, this this feedback thing. Yeah, I think the director also brought up that uh, people in suits running is a particular weird image, I guess. Which yeah. um, we saw earlier in the movie, someone else in a suit kind of like running across the street. Uh yeah. When um, I think it's when uh, Brooke Adams' character is walking to the office in the morning, mm-hmm. and yeah, there's there's something particularly strange about that. They're breaking out of what you expect of mm-hmm. their lifestyle type, and suddenly, you know, you can disqualify them from that, you know, mm-hmm. and think worse of them. The other interesting thing, when just thinking about this, is that we we have this weird image of Matthew Bennell and like who he is because he is both someone who is clearly caring you know he's not really listening to Elizabeth for most of this movie but he does care about her and yeah you know and and it seems like in more in a way more than he just would like to sleep with her you know it seems like greater than that yeah and we're supposed to be sympathetic to him for the whole movie but like when we first meet him he is shutting down the job of of working people you know like obviously and and finds such delight in that you know he yeah. he is like a, a a member of like the the essentially the bureaucratic arm of state i'm not necessarily totally against the health department or whatever not necessarily pro rat shit and food for sure yeah, but, but still. like yeah. you know he is this guy who let's also this is a fancy restaurant too with well, rat shit in the well food. but but he you know like we see him get a bottle thrown at his window by people who are clearly like you know mm. not not head chefs in the kitchen you know they're yeah. They're 
I don't know, they look to me like they're people who are scraping to get by a little bit. And yeah, you know, well, they're setting up in that scene this the the paranoid idea of you know people watching and being against you even before you know they're not supposed to be pop people but but the way that the camera kind of lingers on them kind of like throwing him glances and kind of glaring him it's supposed to i think set up that the idea of these other people kind of watching him and uh, conspiring against him uh which yeah i mean they're workers they're like this guy's fucking trying to come in and shut down our job it is very successful in that in mm-hmm. in creating this air of paranoia but you know like the next morning you know they go to his lab and he's just like delighted in 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 his power mm-hmm. to like shut down restaurants you know that is totally and there's this like he is not them you know like he you know the guy running at his car window who he might suspect is homeless is a very different you know in his head like a very different kind of person than he is i feel like that intro has so much to it it almost like the first time watching it was one of the hardest things for me to figure out because like from a class analysis it's one thing but from other views it's other things like you're saying it's like they're it's separate from them also like there's also the setup of like that behind the shiny fancy veneer there's rat shit and he's gonna find it just like through the whole movie behind this you know society that has all this bureaucracy and these people using the right words and the psychiatrist is actually gonna be some fucking rat shit that he's gonna have Mm -hmm. to find um so there's a lot of layers that almost feel contradictory thematically and confusing to me but it 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 does set you up with this something's not right here. And I think it's really interesting that his windshield stays broken the whole movie and you're seeing the world through it as they're driving. Mm-hmm. Like you're he's it was like his first you're along with him on the ride to see that something through the window isn't right, even though at first he he does care about Elizabeth, and I do think he comes on way too strong and is kind of taking advantage of the situation a little but i still generally like him and don't like jeffrey that much but like he is trying to help her but he's also like just go see the shrink go see the shrink. Like he's putting her into the hands of the bad guys not meaning to but partially because he just thinks her head needs to get uh checked so i don't know exactly what i'm saying but there's a lot to that setup i, don't, I mean i well first of all i don't think spock is the bad guy in the sense of a pod person at that point. Um, I do. I, I don't think he is until the second time we meet him. Uh, at the first meeting, I think he's just this patronizing, um, full of shit psychiatrist. And then every scene after that, he's a pod person. I think the beautiful thing about the movie is that it doesn't matter. Yes. That's the beauty of his role is that the psychiatrist is the enemy in this movie, whether he's a pod person or not, because of his role. Not necessarily because he's a bad person, but because of his role. He could have been before, he could have been after. I think that was, like, the creme de la creme of the movie. I I think, like, the key line in the movie is Elizabeth saying something like, everything is the same but different. And that is, like, very much, you know, like, I, I think the ambiguity of... Um, 
uh, his name is not Spock, Len- Leonard Nimoy, the ambiguity of Len- Leonard Nimoy's character when we first meet him really like lays that out that like society, this is already happening. All of, all of, you know, the, the pod peopleization of, um, San Francisco and of like what was once a sort of robust counterculture or whatever is already happening. And, and the, the fact that they're aliens now is just kind of besides the point. The fact that people want this mass produced book by a psychiatrist and the beatnik has to yell into the void is showing this difference already taking over the city yeah. for sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. I just say, I don't know. I completely agree with you about uh, Matthew's character. Um, uh, you're saying he thinks that her head needs to get ch- checked out. I genuinely believed him and trusted his character that he doesn't think she's crazy. He just, you know, she's presenting him with something that any of us we were presented with, we'd be thinking, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, but he doesn't knee-jerk say, you're crazy. He says, you know, maybe there's... He thinks maybe there's something about her hus- or, uh, boyfriend that's that's just, you know, maybe throwing her vibes to make her think differently from her. And this... <laughs> he became psych- gay. This, this psychiatrist who's... Who's, a, yeah. who's not just a random psychiatrist, but obviously a close friend of his who he trusts. Sure. So he's like, you know, maybe he can help you figure out, you know, if he's turned into a Republican or uh, or something. Yeah, totally. that, that, and that's giving you vibes that's making you think that he's a different person. I, I guess yeah. I, have, I have a more trusting feel in him. I, I don't. I don't think that any of that goes against what I think. I trust him. But in the end of the day, she's saying something's different about him he's leaning more into the norm culture stuff that he's going to go against later where he's trying to have her see a psychiatrist about her boyfriend being different. That's what's happening. And like, I don't think that he's thinks she's crazy, but I think that he also thinks that the only thing that can be fixed is something in her head. That's why she has to go see a psychiatrist. I don't think it's mean spirited, but I just think that he's using the normie approach that he'll later like, kind of grow out of in a way in the film okay. not that it's like especially heinous or something well i don't think it's in any way heinous yeah sure uh, i think i think i mean it is because he's bringing her to the guy who's gonna get them in trouble but he doesn't know what it is yeah i think it, i think he's acting in good faith um yeah. to and yeah i think i think you're right that charlie that like he's like yeah, something is probably different with your boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, I don't think he is. He's not listening still. He's not listening when she says there's something like really different about him. And, you know, I, I don't I mean, know. She's literally saying he's not him. It's a yeah. different person now. Yeah. But I get yeah. that. I would also take that as he's changed, not as he's not fucking him, really. You yeah. know, we all would. Yeah. Anybody would. Unless my wife told me, then I would believe her. That is, we've been over this. If uh, if your wife was a worm, would you still love her? I would wiggle around in the dirt with her. It's crazy because I've had the same conversation with my partners. My partners are worms, and they're asking me if I still like them. They're humans, and I'm like, no, of course not. I'm into worms. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this movie is being, you know, it's not actually telling us to be worried about aliens. It's pointing out things that might be wrong with the way that the world is going and the way that mainstream society is. So even somebody acting in someone's best interest might be choosing avenues that the movie is saying might not actually be in their best interest. Not that anybody that that makes that person especially bad. Dr. Kibner, you know, what he's doing, as far as I can tell, he's telling Elizabeth to stop looking outward, to look inside, because this is something that's wrong with her, Uh, which is, I think, the whole kit and caboodle of this movie is that, like, you know, the the whole, once they're pod people, you know, uh, uh, Belichick is, like, basically, like, it's nice. Everything's the same, except you're being uh, born into an untroubled world, you know, like, mm-hmm. so don't worry what's going on out there because you're going to be perfectly content and that is what matters and that's what that's what uh dr kibner's book is presumably about right shit book terrible book yeah, yeah I, I, agree, I agree agree with uh belichick terrible book but i i want to get this clear though um so rabbit thinks he's already a pod person I don't think he's a pod person until our second scene with him. What do you think uh, when he turns into a pod person, Marta? I My immediate guess was that he was not a pod person yet, but also that it doesn't matter. At the point at which he becomes a pod person is besides the point. And the ambiguity is what makes it beautiful. And I fully agree with that. I just, if I had to pick my second watch, I decided it was before. But I also think part of it is like what he does to the woman complaint, worrying about her husband in front of everyone is absolutely unforgivable, absolutely monstrous, absolutely horrific. He's a piece of shit through and through. Yeah. Uh. So I, I, it doesn't really matter. He's, and so the fact that Matthew would see that and then be like, yeah, go hang out with this guy is a little, it sucks. Yeah. 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 Um, and I mean, yeah, we can all agree. I don't know. Need to go into why that was so bad. I mean, he was just saying, "Go into danger. You're you're wrong." And he barely knew her. They were like, I mean, not he barely knew her. He barely knew this new thing happening, and he was wrong. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, it's possible he became potted later. But what I wrote at the end of it was, it's telling that uh, when the psychiatrist's friend becomes one, his friends couldn't tell. Yeah. This also mirrors the book really closely, but the book, I think, also isn't necessarily clear of when uh, the psychiatrist becomes a, a pot person. It's been so long since I read it. I thought the dentist was the main character in this one and that that was like Joffrey and they set him aside. Is that wrong? No, the main character in the book is a, a, like a general practitioner doctor. Oh, okay, um, maybe he's that's... basically a, yeah. the main doctor in a small town. Gotcha. That's right. And then, uh, yeah, there is no Joffrey character. Basically, this girl who he, who he used to date comes to him and says, "My friend is thinks her uncle isn't uh, 
um, isn't actually her uncle. Can you talk to to her? Gotcha. So it, it isn't like a personal thing like that. And then uh, he ends up him and his this girl he used to date. Both him and her have been through divorces, and they fall in love with each other. Gotcha. Although her father, she also, through the process, through the book, she thinks her father's an imposter. But at that point, he's kind of like in it and believes at that point. That does feel like one big difference is, if I'm remembering it right, like in the book, you know, there were people that you weren't sure. But in this, the... Mm -hmm. As soon as someone sees someone they really know, like when we see Jack, it is very obvious. Um, like mm-hmm. basically everybody, when you once they start talking, you know, except for the psychiatrist. Except for the psychiatrist. Because his whole thing is just like, you know, um, like Spock is not about emotion. It's about, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, emotion will lead you in the wrong way. You have to be more... Um, uh, uh, I guess logical and rational about it, but and, it's also but, like I'm gonna I'm gonna quote quote here. It's very mellow out, or you will pay. California, Morales. you know, like that is the yeah. <laughs> that is the whole thing going on. I I think it's really interesting and awesome that one of the lines that Kibner says when we're sure he's a pod person is. Uh, first, we don't hate you. There's no need for hate now or love. But then he says, don't be trapped by old concepts, which is so interesting because that is the trap, right? Like the old concepts of, uh, you know, just keeping your head down and working and fitting into societal norms and like the 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 keeping marriages together. Those are the traps of the pod people. But the fucking fascists always get the concepts and use them at us. You know, well, and, you know, it it seems like the the old concepts that he's talking about are the concepts that are like 15 years old, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like the like the hippy dippy shit, the uh... Uh, I think even farther. I I think he's kind of saying, like, don't be trapped by the idea of love. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. But yes, concepts that had ta- had a, a big lot more power over society in the last 20 years yeah you know yeah yeah Yeah. he was um his character made me look up uh san francisco reagan vote something like that which i only spent a few minutes on it and i couldn't find anything but i was wondering like what how many people voted for reagan both as governor and and as uh president in san francisco because yeah, I mean his first his first interaction with her is just like, oh, you, you know, you're trying to break away from the family unit, and all these people coming to me about this are trying to break break away from the family unit, and uh, that's such a conservative, yeah, kind of knee jerk reaction to uh, you're trying to break apart the family reunion, and why don't you think about things, and you know, it's. It's not all supposed to be you know, sunshines and happiness, and you don't really want to break away from something that's good for you. Uh, I don't know. It felt very, um, yeah, it's just a very conservative kind of thing, which is not what you would identify with San Francisco necessarily. So I was, so what, I was really wondering since what? 
What did you find out? What was the vote? You I, I, on the edge of my seat. I only uh, it was like right before we were recording, mm. so I only oh, spent gotcha. a couple of minutes. And I couldn't find come any, on, string I couldn't us along. find anything specific. Like when I was searching for like San Francisco and and Reagan sure. vote, it was like overall California stuff. And I'm like, I'm not looking for overall California. That's why I said San Francisco. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> and it's like well, California voted for Reagan in both of his presidential elections. Like I was looking for San Francisco, motherfucker. <laughs> Well, I I mean, we've talked about, you know, he specifically says the family unit, he like he very much wants to keep the status quo. And I do think that's one interesting thing about this movie is how much the pods are a change, but they are a change to keep the status quo. Right. Mm -hmm. And like my one of my favorite parts of the movie is the like kind of frantic, almost dreamlike sequence uh two-thirds of the way in or so where Matthew's calling we don't want to create a panic yes yes and so like the things that are used to justify keeping the alien presence are discretion politeness agency jurisdiction science bureaucracy and platitudes they're all Mm -hmm. used to suppress the truth and i thought that was just so well done Mm -hmm. such a jarring scene like Yes. So he calls the mayor's aide, and the mayor's aide sets up an appointment with him. And he goes and meets the mayor's aide, but we're never privy to any info of what they talked about. Now, obviously, I'm assuming that mayor's aide was part of the pod people at the time, but that's... I don't know, didn't you guys think that was weird that that they... I just assumed... It was the same thing we're hearing over and over, like, okay, well, hold on, we're looking into it. it, it, It's such a more in- depth aspect of that where i thought where i basically i thought that was the general premise and message of it but uh i don't know i thought that was interesting how they went as in depth to actually set up a meeting but then the the film didn't actually communicate what that meeting was um i i sort of i i feel like that even contributes to the kind of dreamlike uh yes paranoid conspiracy it was the like launching pad. It was with. the runway for the rest of that scene to get going. Mm-hmm. Where like I'm, I'm just like I'm. Yes, I'm getting through to someone. Yes, I'm. Which leads me to someone else. Which leads me to someone else. Which leads me to someone else. And like I'm constantly getting the same response. Your discretion is appreciated. Your, you know, we don't want to create back. We don't, you know, like and um, but it starts. It starts somewhere normal, and not, and again, you know, it, everything is the same but different. You know, like all of these things, every single one of the phone calls is like normal enough. You know, Ooh. every every single thing about this is normal, except yeah, that yeah. it's yeah. it's just the dreamlike quality of it is what makes it so yeah. weird. You know, it's not weird the to collection have, of them. Yeah. It's not weird to have someone like picking up a phone and putting it down over and over again. And, and even as, uh, I guess, terrifying normality of it is that his trusted friend, um, Kibner, who at the point this happens, we know, or we're about to be confirmed or minutes, seconds later, that he's a pop person, um, you know, uh, Kibner tells him, yeah, yeah, I'll connect your calls. I'll connect your calls. I can do that. I can do that for you. Um, so he, he 
I guess, voice uh, heightens the trust, I guess. I, I don't yeah. know what I'm fucking saying. Anyways, uh, but then, obviously, that scene shows Kibner meeting with pod people, and we know he's a pod person, and then these calls actually go through, but we know that, that this pod person gave the okay to these calls. This pod person is basically is letting these calls go through so we yeah it's it's known that these calls are all completely fucked and fake but here we have uh, uh matthew's character still kind of blindly falling uh following through with his trust that he doesn't you know, he works for the government this, he doesn't know what system else yeah well yeah i i think it's really good that you pointed out charlie that him meeting with that person should have been important and then we don't get to see it because I hadn't thought about that. But it is interesting that like, like the parallax view, it's putting us on the outside. We don't get to even be on the inner bullshit meeting. He has this one-on-one, -on -one, but we don't get to hear it. We get to hear like the phone calls you get because we are experiencing and feeling what it's like to be on this outside, you know? Mm -hmm. Um. But speaking of status quo, I do want to say I don't really get why Matthew destroyed the factory with violence when he could have just become one of them and changed the system from within. <laughs> I would simply vote. <laughs> just thought that was weird. Interesting choice. Uh, uh, speaking uh, of that scene, why do we think they played Amazing Grace while we, we watched the... Uh, the pallet of pods go on to the ship. Was that just oh, a rather, funeral for uh, the I'll human race? Answer before I comment with the commentary. I mean, I don't. I, I feel like it's a rhetorical question because America, the beautiful, mm -hmm. were exporting our pods <laughs> to uh, the rest of the. It was Amazing like, Grace, not America, the beautiful. I know, but like, isn't what's? I guess it's Amazing the Grace for, is a good song. What what is what what's the association with Amazing Grace? It feels very American to me. Is it not? Yeah, I don't know. I associate with with American stuff too. Oh, okay. I, I just think it's a pretty song. Uh, I don't I don't know if it actually I don't know if it actually is it American. I always assume it's. I don't know who wrote that song. It's just a song that bagpipers play. Yeah. Uh, so the actual. Oh the most, shit. Um, Wait, the what the fuck? It was written by Sorry. pod people? Is that what you're trying to say? No, it's about slavery? Wait, it's a Christian hymn published in 1779, immensely popular in the United States. Boom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just think of it as an America thing, and they were like, look at us, America, the beautiful, spreading our pods through industrialization, but I don't know. Uh, in the commentary, Phil Coffin talks about how basically he heard it I think he said with the screenwriter of this movie it could be wrong um while they were out drinking they heard it like played on bagpipes at an Irish bar or something and they they thought it was just absolutely beautiful and uh the director is like well I need to put this in a movie at some point and then uh he thought this was the perfect opportunity to put it in I I did think that there was like when he sees the ship and he hears music to me, there was this hope that came up of like, I don't know if the pod people could do music. And then you get this like, he has this hopefulness. And it's not only that, but it's like this familiar song, which is comforting. And then boom, they've even taken that, you know? Yeah. Um, 
So in the first movie, in in the fifty six movie, that the same thing happens. Um, they basically run from everybody. Him and uh, Becky, I think her name is, and they they've hid out in a mine, and they've uh, all the popular even come into the mine, and and they couldn't find their hiding space, and then they're there the next morning, and they hear this beautiful music, and he goes and he leaves her behind in the mine. And he goes to check out the music to see if, if it's people that they can trust. And it's actually just the uh, factory where they're making the pod people. And it's just a radio blasting the music. Hmm. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So but um, yeah, um, the specific reason why it's Amazing Grace is, like I said, the director heard it in a bar playing a bagpipe. So he thought this is beautiful. And... I think, yeah, they're trying to make this beautiful music that they're just like, there's no way pod people, these emotionless people can make this music. And then they go and find out it's pod people just playing this music over a speaker. Hmm. Um, we haven't mentioned much, but the just got to flag or point out the whole wake and sleeping uh, <laughs> symbolism metaphor, whatever, the wake up sheeple shit. I didn't really notice it my first time, but like, you know, it's literally just the difference between waking and sleeping. Being a pod person because is a sheeple sleeping and fucking you know, woke libs in San Francisco going yeah. at it again. And I noticed that one of the things that cued me to think that uh, David Kibner was a pod person early on is in the, you know, they're obsessed with trying to get them to sleep earlier. But in the first scene, he goes. Uh, Matthew says, "What can I? What can I do for Elizabeth?" And he says, "A good night's sleep wouldn't hurt." And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that's something a psychiatrist might say. But it is interesting that it ties into the like, "Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep" thing. Well, sleep does rule. Sleep's <laughs> um, pretty good. As someone who does not sleep as much as he should, sleep does fucking rule. Stay woke, brother. Uh, <gasps> yeah, I'm a sleep addict. Just one more night, I promise. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did y'all think about speaking of like the boat? Um, Matthew lying to Elizabeth at the end, saying the boat, Elizabeth, it's going to take us away. As she that was as she was turning into like yeah, and there's nothing he could do. Yeah. At that point. Um. I don't know. I didn't really think about it. What did you? What did you think about it? I I didn't really think about it either. But I I support it. He's both in some way trying to confront her, even though knowing she's gone. But he's also trying or not confront, uh, comfort her, even though you know she's gone, as well as comforting himself and uh, just kind of a scream out into the abyss of you know things are going to be okay, even though. It, he knows that's not the case, but you know, yeah, still trying to pr present a front against the ine inevitability. Inevitable. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I didn't take it as him trying to comfort himself. I think he knows that that boat's not going to take them away, but he's just mm -hmm. trying to comfort her. But I think that I fully support it. Like, what else are you going to do? But it, I think it says something that. The only comfort he can come up with was that, like, you know, the status quo, this industrial ship or whatever, with playing Amazing Grace is going to save us. And it also kind of parallels 
Nancy at the end of the movie where you find out that the only thing you can do at a certain point is pretend to be one of them. All you can do is get along and pretend the boat's going to take you away and like be, you know, be fall in line. And even if you're not one of them, you know, be one. of I don't know. Those two things felt a little yeah. parallel to me. And isn't that a metaphor for society? Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Totally. Obviously, I'm trying to be funny there, but also, isn't it completely true? Um, yeah. Yeah. Everything is the same, but different. You know, like, mm -hmm. we're all, I mean, not to, it's a little corny, but yeah, we're all, like, doing, wearing the mask and doing the, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to be at work or I'm happy to be, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, we everyone everyone is doing what Nancy is doing all the time. Yes, officer. Yes. Yep. In a slightly yeah. less yeah. stressful way, probably than her life is. But and what's the difference between a pod person and someone who has to do pod person things all day to look like a pod person? Right. It's, you're yeah. stressed. Materially, I mean, that's that's it. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's your stress. Totally. The pod person is. <sighs> that's why I jack off all day. I don't know. I mean, but like. But presumably the pod person is doing that too because like you know like sure. uh w what's his name uh jeffrey jeffrey's just like watching commercials with his headphones on when when he's a that's pod person. such a good thing about this movie i love that the first person who gets snatched is this piece of shit sports fan who can't even bother to clean up uh, like or who can't even bother to get the mail for his wife and you're like oh but then when he gets changed, she could tell he gets changed because he cleans something up and he's like dressed nice. And I, it made it more nuanced, right? Like it made it more like, yeah, like it even sucks that shitty, annoying people become pod people. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was great. Yeah, that, that is great how he's he's watching like commercials with his headphones on and he's. <laughs> As a pod person, he's just like that. People are supposed to watch TV. Well, <laughs> and it very much to me is like emblematic of like what this movie is trying to say. You know, the fact that he's watching commercials, that he's just sitting there watching commercials. You know, this was the mm -hmm. uh, this was the moment of like. Well, you could just buy your individuality, you know, like commercials are, you know, like you don't don't think too hard about it. There's all this stuff on TV and you have you probably have a credit card now or and you maybe maybe you have a credit card now, but you have credit and uh, you could just you could just get all this shit and become your own individual person. Huh. Don't worry. There are some good commercials out there. I mean, they made a whole TV show about the Geico Caveman. Um, <laughs> I mean, so there's some deep, there's some deep commercials out there. So I, I don't like this knee-jerk reaction to the fact that it's just trying to, it's just a thirty-second spot trying to sell something. It's necessarily bad because you know there's some good stuff out there. Uh, it's also interesting that yeah, his personality is this like even Matthew knows elizabeth well enough to be like oh the blah 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 team won your household must be happy because that's the his warriors. identity come on okay. don't try <laughs> to be i just sports balls i don't understand i just i don't I remember i don't know anarchist. what it is 
I'm an anarchist, and sports have rules. Therefore, I don't <laughs> like sports balls. God damn it, Charlie. Okay, I want to ask y'all a serious question about the ending of the movie. We see Matthew. We're following him. We don't know that he's a pod person yet. They do things to cue us in to think that he's not a pod person. He cuts out newspaper clippings just like he used to. He's walking, and he's focusing in on Elizabeth, who we knew he loved before. And then, you know, he does the screech, and we know he's a pod person. Is this ending just built that way to make it jarring and catch us off guard? Or are they trying to say that maybe there's something in the pod people that's still a part of them? Like, is it a little bit of hope that even within pod people, there's still a little of their humanity left? So there is actually a part of me, even though I know this isn't the filmmaker's intentions, we're like, I was thinking, what if he's still human and he's just bent on surviving and tricking them to the point where he'll sell Nancy out? And I was kind of thinking that'd be kind of a cool, <laughs> that's kind of a cool look on it. I don't actually think that's what the filmmaker's in, intention was, but. Um, Doesn't matter. Fuck them. <laughs> I, I kind of thought that that would be kind of a cool kind of play on that ending, right? Um, sure. Except for yeah. you don't really see anyone around him and Nancy, so I guess there wouldn't be any real reason for him to do that. He wants but, Nancy to think he's a pod. That's how deep in he is, bro. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, that's how. But, how uh, dedicated he is to, um, yeah, tricking them and uh, finally doing <laughs> an ultimate uh, anti pop people action uh but uh uh yeah a, a very interesting thing about that that scene is um apparently they did not tell anyone what the ending was so only the director and the screenwriter knew and then the day of filming they told donald sutherland and so nancy cartwright did not know that uh donald sutherland was going to point at her and screech like that which uh, so that's that's all like kind of improvised, which is really really cool. Um, that is very cool. But you're purposely avoiding the only. I was, I was about to say that doesn't address your question at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, thank you for that information. <laughs> uh, it's it's cool information, and I think that's that's no. The I meant best the information, information our listeners are going to get. So let's say I meant I meant right the information. Here. All right, thank you. This you, has been no gods, no monsters. Um, you can catch us at uh, Wednesdays when we post our episodes, and you can Tuesdays email now. us at nogods at twitters.com. Charlie, I meant the information that it didn't answer the question. That's all I meant. The, like, the fact that you stated that. Uh, I know. Time. I know. I agree. And I was trying to ignore that. Okay. So the mechanics in my mind of what pod people are, again, same but different, they function as like the skin of a person, the shell of what you are. They go through the the movements and motions of, you know, it almost like it to to me they read as like the most horrifying outcome of like zen, you know, like zen buddhism where you are you are not thinking and just doing but for every every single motion, every single action, you know, like, you know, Matthew is a person who cuts things out of the newspaper. 
he goes to the office he you know like all of these things are intact about you but that's all there is there's no and what what did they say um so like okay the function so of life is at... survival you know that's that's so so and everything outside of that is beyond the point you know they are the pod person is is seeing matthew as someone who has survived this long and what one of the things he's done to survive is cut cut little articles out of the newspaper and gone to the health department and done his done his little tests in the lab but it it when they showed them in the lab and i might be remembering this wrong but it didn't like seem like anyone was actually doing anything they were just like there right uh, Elizabeth was putting something in a beaker that was spinning around. Oh, something and was spinning. People were okay. working on stuff. Okay, yeah, people were. but she like wasn't paying attention to it, and then she just like pushed it to go off. Mm. So it's like it's happening, but I'm not recording any data. Sure, that, that's sort of what it felt like to me. Like stuff was just yeah. like being done to be done, and yeah, I think my yeah my Zen analogy is maybe a little sloppy, but it is what I kept like thinking about. No, sure. That's the that's the pessimistic answer. No, they're just going through the motions. There's not hope inside them. Right. Basically, uh, Charlie, what were you going to ask? I I just wanted to ask how much do you think the person's consciousness consciousness transfers? So, if you were a pod person tomorrow, do you think you, I guess, as now? would be a part of that pod person or do you think that's a completely different um entity than the completely first separate entity from who you I are? think the first I, one you think you're a part of it i think you're a part of it but that they've taken away all the things that make you yeah want uh someone who could like not benefit the system who could think for themselves yeah i mean that's what the pod people claim happens i'm just yeah wondering if that if they're truthful and that actually is what happens, if there is actually a piece of the original person in the, the final product. I mean, I guess I, my real answer is I don't know. And it, I don't know that yeah. it necessarily, I think kind of the ambiguity is part of the awesomeness of it. But if I mm. had, if I was pushed, I'd be like, that's my guess because that's the information. That's where I lean. I, but I guess, I mean, this is philosophy that is, probably um i've not prepped or thought about enough but it to me if you if you stripped all the things away from me that you know i guess this is like a ship of theseus kind of deal and you know if you if you stripped all the things away from me that makes me not a greasy or um uh makes me a thorn at all in the yeah. size of the system, then I'm then Are there is nothing. I, I don't know what it's left of me, really. But it's six of one, still... half a dozen of the other. I think one of the awesome things about the movie <laughs> is they make yeah. us ask, "What's what makes you you? How mm-hmm. many things get taken away until you're not you anymore?" Um, so yeah, I guess those two things, Charlie, are the same, right? I take my dog outside to go pee several times a day because I love her and not necessarily just because I don't want P to be in my house. You know, like the, <laughs> the pod 
person of Bardo would probably also take the dog outside the house six times a day, but so that P's not in the house. And that feels very distinct and different and not, you know, totally yeah. not me anymore. If somebody observes you and writes down everything you would do and completely duplicate everything you would do, that's different than being, than there being a part of you, right? part of your soul in it. So I guess I'm questioning whether or not you guys think that there's part of the whatever we think a soul is in the duplication or it's just a duplication of the processes of... Yeah. Um, and what I think my answer is, is that... If I had to guess, I don't believe in souls, but I, if I had to guess... Yeah, I mean, part, I don't necessarily either, yeah, but... I, I, if I had to guess a part of your biological you or your spiritual you or whatever is transferred, but if it is or if it isn't, we don't know, and in the end, it would be the same result either way. Yeah. Because it's not you anymore. Right. Yeah. Totally. Right. Joffrey's not Joffrey, but maybe he's a little Joffrey, but that doesn't matter because he's not Joffrey anymore. Right. Uh, Speaking... <laughs> Uh, is it Jeffrey? Jeffrey. Did Jeff? Jeffrey? Jeffrey? Oh, it is Jeffrey. It's just spelled G. G- you just G-O-F-F. love Game of Thrones that much. Yeah, um, I love Joffrey. He's Art Hinkle, hats off to him. The Black Christmas, The Brood, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. A holy trilogy, in my opinion. Way to go. Hell yeah. Do y'all want to do some awards? I, I, I had just one more. Please thing that i just wanted to bring up that i thought was like so such a a cool little little insert is the opening when she's talking about when she's like i found this flower i think it's a grex she calls it epilobic epilobic and says that many of these plants are deadly or poisonous and these plants may thrive on devastated ground and then particularly mentioned like Eastern European war-torn cities, which to me felt like they were doing this like, like, uh, is this going to be a movie about communism? Is this going to be a movie about communism, mm-hmm. guys? But then nice. it's equally applicable to be like, uh, you know, it's 1970, you know, yeah. like there have been... Uh, now I'm getting my dates confused, but I feel like there there have been, you know, the Eastern European war torn cities also headed west and opened up the doors to consumerism, and you know, like it's equally applicable there. But it, it felt like that they were they were going to do that. Like, is this a Cold War paranoia movie? Is it? And and then they just didn't. As I say, obviously, the first movie is uh, often seen as a. Uh commentary on mccarthyism although some of the people involved i guess don't agree with that but yeah i mean that's that, that's generally what the first movie is known for whether or not that's actually true to the intentions of the filmmakers so i i was kind of expecting it to be kind of more heavily referenced in this which um i i guess it, it i don't think it was yeah and the the book itself people are pretty split is it Mm -hmm. that when you're a pod person you become a communist or is it when you're a pod person you become an anti-communist pro-establishment person it's kind of it's open enough to interpretation um 
I did not notice the Eastern European reference as being part of like this communist thing, which is wild because that's all I was looking for my first watch. So good catch. I did think of it as a this is devastated ground. <laughs> this yeah. is not this country is not uh, a pristine ecosystem where an invading thing would have trouble. Right. You know, yes. Also talking about the uh, Grex, uh, she says it's two flower species, like combining for in something we haven't seen before or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hybridizing. Um, I, I, on my last watch, I kind of thought like, oh, that kind of uh, is foreshadowing the, um, we haven't even talked about this, the, the dog and the human combining later when... Uh, oh, yeah. After... Donald Sutherland steps on the, the 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 pod, the flower that's blooming next to um the banjo player and his dog, and then Harry, that, yeah. that kind of like fucks up the uh, the system, and so it combines their DNA together to make them into a dog with a human face. But the, the, when I was rewatching it this, this last time, that they talked about the Grex kind of made me think of that. Oh, totally. I, you know, it didn't. I, it didn't even occur to me why that that dog yeah. banjo player happened. I was Same. like, I was it like, didn't this either. Is but weird. Uh, in the commentary, Phil Kaufman points that out. Ah. Um, so I was like, oh shit! And apparently, by the way, the banjo music was played by Jerry Garcia. <laughs> nice, hell yeah, <laughs> awesome. Uh, I was wanting to go into awards if y'all are, but I know Barto, you mentioned earlier wanting to say something about like the types of people Matthew and Elizabeth were. Was that something that we haven't touched on? Oh, all I thought is that they felt vaguely like they could have been flower children at some point who sure. like grew up hippie vibes and just fell into normal lives and you know and and everyone because they were all I think our four protagonists were all sort of countercultural people. They were people who were predisposed to a certain amount of paranoia and things like that. And and that's what made them um, Mm -hmm. survive as long as they did. Uh, But I'm not, I, but I don't know why I thought that, that Matthew and Elizabeth were, were definitely flower children, except that they were, they were, people in the 70s <laughs> and, yeah i mean there's also little things like uh you know him making that joke like you know uh, maybe psychiatrists can help identify what's wrong with your husband and, like maybe he's turned into republican right um, right 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 yeah and like her being really into flowers and stuff i feel like that mm-hmm. could lead to a career in flowers and stuff and him like being a guy who cooks and is more sensitive and has longer hair, like it all, yeah. it all feels like echoes of a past. I think yeah. that makes I mean, a lot of sense. Hell, even being in the health department, like yeah, that's kind of one of the more supportable, righteous positions in a government job you can take. Sure, for sure. Y'all, let's let's do some awards. Who wants to start with Dem Cop of the Week? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I will. Like we established, you and I disagree about when Kibner turned into a pod person. But I think in the first scene we see him, he's not a pod person. And in that way, he is a dumb cop because he is using his um, position, his uh, authority as a 
well-respected um, psychiatrist uh, to basically tell this person, tell multiple people actually, that they're completely wrong about their fears, um, their anxieties, what they think is an absolute danger to them. And he is not only telling them they're wrong, but he's con- using his position to convince them that they're wrong and uh, just uh, completely... Totally. Yeah, ignoring them, putting them into a position of danger, which very cop-like. Fucking brain cop, definitely. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Barto? I mean, that Kip- Kibner would seems like the cop du jour of, of this film uh, for everything that Charlie just said. And um, I can't really think of a better better option than that. Hell yeah. So I think in the movie, there's this implication that when Matthew's reaching out to the police, they are, they've been changed into pod people. And so that's why they keep, you know, trying to thwart all his stuff. But I also think that there's no reason for that to be necessary. And it's very <laughs> possible that every single cop in the movie is not a pod person. So I'm giving it to all the cops. <laughs> um, I'll start with the Praxis Award. Uh, I'm going to give it to... Um, Jack Belichick for saying, don't ever give your name to the cops. What do you want to get on a master list? Yes. Uh, just because that's paranoia as practice. Yes, that was wielded that's, uh, smartly. That's mine too. That one I wrote. I, I was, yeah. was going to to Jack for, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. sacrificing himself. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I guess they're equal. <laughs> sacrificing yourself is not good unless it's necessary and it did seem necessary so that was solid he's solid the whole way through despite the expectations when you first meet him except that he doesn't listen to women oh true true also um yeah practice the work for being just super fucking hot and sexy (laughs) um yeah that's definitely practice uh, who wants to start with a favorite shot? Yeah, opening sequence. There's lots of things oh, you can nice. choose, but that opening sequence is just so, so, so gorgeous. Yeah. And I mean, overall, like I, I mentioned before, the cinematographer is, uh, you know, he, he's considered like a great legendary cinematographer. And the lighting in this movie, he really did lots of film noir stuff um, to light different scenes and that's a really it was a really awesome uh, decision to do film noir stuff in a, a movie that's a, a sci-fi paranoid movie and it works so well and great and i love it all there's so much great visual stuff but yeah opening shot was just absolutely gorgeous hell yeah i thought there was a lot of really incredible camera work like as we're like moving through the party or when uh, we're walking through crowds or like particularly that um, when they're rolling past, um, I guess this isn't camera work, but when they're like rolling past the, the man who's been beaten to death and there's just a crowd of people, there's a lot of like really haunting and weird and beautiful stuff in this movie but I gotta go with Sticky Matt as as the pod person's being born, <laughs> and and it's such 
like a cool it's such a fucking cool effect as as he's coming out of the out of the pod he was so gross oh, and so Matt. yeah sticky matthew and and he's so gross and weird looking and i just i was just looking at it like how the fuck did they make that thing because it just yeah. looked so yeah it just fit so well i believed it yeah the bald head coming out of the pod that was peeled open looking just like a flower so yeah. good great a lot better than the effects in the 56 movie just have to say <laughs> good <laughs> hell yeah um, um but uh it, when i was in the second time with commentary watch with steve haberman he talks about how oh this stuff wouldn't work as well as the cgi and i have to say correct yeah duh it looks awesome practical effects um Totally. Yeah, yeah, definitely a duh, but uh, yes. I'm also, look, all three of us giving it to the effects. That's wild. Um, that doesn't usually happen, but I'm giving it to the growing leaf effect in the beginning. Like once they land uh, mm-hmm. and the, the stuff is kind of spindling out, that was fucking awesome. Yes. Hell yeah. One thing I meant to mention about two hours ago with the uh, broken window on his car, uh, Philip Coffin mentioned how the, the kind of um, shattering is supposed to also kind of evoke the idea of tendrils of, of plant tendrils reaching out. Oh, very cool. Yeah, very cool. This is a smart movie. It is. Yeah, Hell yeah. Uh, that's that's uh, the commentary of Phil Kaufman is fantastic. Like you can tell, he's just a super smart person who put tons of thought into every part of this movie. Uh, so I highly recommend it to people. Hell yeah. All right, um, I'll rate this movie a fucking, I don't even know, like, just, like, sick-ass shots of space with shit flowing, floating through space. This movie's sick. I first gave it four stars, then I gave it four and a half, and now I'm like, I gotta give it five. Like, this movie is amazing. It's almost perfect. I do think the last fourth of it is the only part that's not quite as perfect as the rest, but it's still good. Um, it's just a great movie and the ending nails it so yeah amazing yeah i agree this is a absolutely fantastic movie falling on all cylinders all aspects uh aspects um roger ebert was not the biggest fan so roger ebert i am not going to say anything negative about you because you're dead and i respect that um But, Listen to our Godzilla episode for more on that. <laughs> um, well, Pauline Kale, I guess, was a huge fan of this movie. Says like one of the best remakes or whatever. And uh, Roger was like um, Pauline Kale's uh, support of this movie is inexplicable. <laughs> 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 Although he was a big, big fan of Abel Ferrara's version. Um, anyways, he's a pod person, and you know it. <laughs> uh yeah I, this movie is pretty much perfect i am gonna give it as many pods as it needs to take over the human race <laughs> hell yeah awesome yeah uh barto yeah i agree it's near perfect film i also agree that like the that there's bits around the the factory and like when it's just matthew and elizabeth 
sort of at the end where it sort of feels like it drags like a, a hair, which is okay because almost yeah, every but- movie drags a hair somewhere. But yeah. this is this is many many flourishing uh flourishing pods a a pile of of edamame you know miles deep salted and delicious and and <laughs> ready for for munching i feel like stars was a was a cheat so i'm gonna i'm gonna say uh 10 dump trucks full of hair uh <laughs> so i'm gonna give Ooh, this movie baby was it hair did you think it was hair i don't know it's, it looks it's, hairy it's, it's husky for oh okay Sweet. Well, thanks so much for listening, folks. We're glad you're here. Uh, you can find us on all the podcast apps, and it'd be awesome if you gave us a rating and a review. We'd appreciate it. It helps other people find the podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and TikTok at NoGodsPod, and you can email us, NoGodsPod at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, you should check out Barto's latest album. Uh, he makes music under the name Arm- Armed Jouissance, and it's on Bandcamp. There's a link for that in the show notes. The album is called Stop Cop City, and all the money is going to the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. Fuck yeah. or, Check it out. or you could just give money to the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. That's fine, too. Yeah, totally. But why not just give money to Thank you.